I think the wonderful thing about digital ads, PLAs, Google Shopping is there's a lot of exposure, but it doesn't create that brand level imagery or engagement. And that's why the catalog is so important. So the catalog is that starting point. And then once we engage people with the catalog, then they jump from that offline experience onto the online experience. and carpeting are two things that most people think went out of style in the 90s. But those people are wrong, and Floor is here to prove it. To chat about just this, I brought James Pope to the show, who's the general manager at Floor. And on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, he took me through all the ways that the company is making carpet cool again through their unique, easy to install, and beautiful carpet tiles. But the first question I had, how do you find new customers when your parent company has focused on B2B customers in the past? such as office spaces or hotels. Well, as they say, what's old is new again. And Floor's top performing marketing program and main entry point for customers is a catalog. Catalogs represent 70% of their consumer demand. That's wild. James really dug into the details around how they think about designing their catalogs from front to back and tracking offline to online attribution. Plus why holdout testing is key and why the 80-20 rule holds true for almost everything. Also, stay tuned to hear about Floor's second most successful marketing campaign that might surprise you. Enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show, and I would really love it. So please, let me know how I'm doing, and give me a rating, give me a review. Let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have James Pope, who currently serves as the General Manager of Floor. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Me too. It's a good day to be talking commerce, especially with someone who's been in the industry for so long, which I was hoping we can start Mm -hmm. there with your background, your experience. I've seen some of the brands that you've worked at. Amazing. So tell me a bit about that. So I've spent um, over 25 years in retail, which is dating myself a little bit. I started out as a sales associate at The Gap when I was in high school. And that was really the moment where I kind of fell in love with the idea, the, the idea of retail and what and the power of retail. And you know, I spent um, ten years from from that point on working in retail and stores and doing a variety in a variety of roles, both in sales and then into management. 
And then I decided I wanted to even take it a step further. So I went back to school and got a, a graduate degree in MBA marketing. And then since then, I've continued to work for, for retailers with a focus on home furnishings, which was unexpected. I didn't imagine I'd spend most of my career in home furnishings, but somehow that's how it's worked out, which is kind of funny how careers are. And um, I've worked for a variety of uh, home furnishings brands. I uh, worked for a consulting firm that also worked on home furnishings. So it is, it's been amazing to me to see how much has changed since when I started at 17 to where I am today and how much retail has continued to evolve. And the ecosystem of retail has continued to be more and more complex. And what at the heart of it, though, what is exciting is how much we engage with the customer and we know about the customer and the ways in which we can connect with her, in our case, um, in such kind of unique and, and personal ways. And I think that's exciting because retail was fairly impersonal when I started. And I think it's become incredibly personal with the power of what we can do. Amazing. So is that one of maybe the most surprising evolutions that you've kind of seen the past year or so? Or what? Are, what's something where you're like, well, wasn't expecting that from all my time here? I don't think anyone could have predicted how quickly digital commerce would have taken off. I mean, it's, it's always been part of what's been going on for, you know, since really since 1995, 96. Um, but I think what we've seen more recently in the last 18 months is the power of digital commerce and how much that infrastructure that so many companies have invested in and how well it has performed and scaled mm-hmm. and how much the consumer is engaged in that. I mean, you know, when you have people of all ages and all backgrounds engaging in digital commerce and are walking away from traditional commerce, um, channels, I think that's exciting. And it offers up a lot of different experiences that you can um, engage with. So that's the thing that I think is surprising. I think, and obviously that's been driven by the pandemic. I think it's exciting that we had this channel available to us and it is scaled so effectively and so quickly. Yeah, love it. So tell me a bit about Floor. What do you guys do? What do you sell? Floor is a company that sells rugs, but our rugs are different. And I like to say that our rugs, um, our rugs are made of carpet tiles that has typically been used in the commercial space. So offices, law firm, you know, offices, law firms, hospitality, convention centers, airports, carpet tile is ubiquitous in the commercial space, but not is not really a, something that is often seen or understood by the consumer in the uh, residential space. Hmm. And what we do is we sell rugs to consumers that are made of carpet tiles and our carpet tiles allow a variety of customization options. So you can create any size shape that you want. Often with the traditional rug purchase, you're restricted to three or four standard sizes and that's it. Also, due to the modular components that we have, which is our carpet tiles, you can combine different styles and colors to create designs that are unique to you. Mm-hmm. So you get a high level of customization just by the nature of the product. And customers are really excited by that. Also, carpet tiles, have a, based on the yarn systems and the toughening technology we use, have a wide variety of designs that have been created. And we're lucky that we have really, really amazing product development teams that support us that create really, really beautiful designs. Because at the end of the day, I think people want their homes to be beautiful. They want them to be inspirational. They want them to be a reflection of who they are. And that starts with style and design. And so we offer a really wide variety of that. Lastly, our products are highly sustainable. So they have a lot of sustainable features. They have high recycled content. Then the yarn that is used in our products is 100% recycled. 
Our backing technology that we just introduced this year, new backing technology is carbon negative as it is net carbon negative. So we have all these features that allow customers to have not only beautiful homes, but homes that are health sensitive, safety sensitive, and, and help them have healthier homes. And, and our customers have told us that sustainable features and products in their homes are incredibly important. That's amazing. So, I mean, I was looking at the website, I'm like, genius, why wasn't this here before? And that's why I want to ask, like, why? I mean, you everyone knows that carpet tiles, I mean, you can even see it. They definitely don't look right. like your guys' carpet tiles. Like when you go to a hotel, right. you can definitely tell it is. But right. why exactly. wasn't this a consumer option until more recently? Well, it's floor's been around since 2003, and it was launched by our parent company's Interface, which is the world's largest modular flooring company. So they are they kind of own the modular carpet tiles. Um, and Floor was launched as a consumer brand. But I think, you know, it's challenging in the home furnishings industry is a unique space. It is highly differentiated. Um, there's a lot of players out there. There's not one big, one or two, three big players. There's some big players, but really it's really granular. Mm-hmm. Rugs are all across the board. There's all price points. And then you bring in the fact that you bring in this modular component and it makes it difficult to for the consumer to understand why they would choose that over something else. And I think one of the things that we've learned since Floor was launched in 2003 is that the education component to the customer is incredibly important. And I think focusing on the education component has helped us accelerate more recently. Yeah. Did you ever find it difficult when you have this parent company that's you know kind of focused on commercial spaces and then you kind of break away as your own mini startup mm-hmm. company where it's like, I'm going to the consumer now. And had to kind of pull away from the original vision and maybe the education that was in that space that was needed versus the consumer. Like, how did you approach that? Because it seems like completely two different business models in a way. It is very different business models. You're correct. However, I think the the lucky part of how we operate within the world of Interface is that we're considered the premium design brand of Interface Mm -hmm. and the consumer facing brand. Interface really sees us as a differentiating factor in their competitive landscape. So their main competitors do not have a residential or design brand such as Floor. So we really are a competitive advantage to them. Yes, the business model is very different from how we go to market to consumers. And that is why our team is very focused on making sure that we manage that experience really closely. The product is engineered and produced in exactly the same way. So from a supply chain manufacturing production standpoint, it's completely neutral to interface, whether mm-hmm. it's a floor product or an interface product, but how it's marketed is very different, which is what you mentioned. And so it's been, it's, the focus has been for us as a brand to make sure the skills and people and, and strategies we follow are very consumer centric to making sure that we are focused on her, in our case, the majority of our customers are female and what she needs, which is obviously very different from the commercial space. And it took some time for Floor to kind of figure that out. I mm-hmm. would say that. That is something, once again, that more recently we have done much better, I think, than we did previously. That's where we are. Yeah. So everyone listening probably loves it. I mean, I know they love hearing kind of like early missteps, things they should avoid. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you all did in the early days to maybe find brand new customers that you weren't reaching mm-hmm. before or train new customers who are kind of just, you know, dipping their toe in to try and learn about it. Like, what did you do in the early days where you're like, oh, maybe that wasn't the best way. And now we learned a better way to reach new customers and teach them. Yeah. I think first off is understanding. I think there was a lack of understanding of how consumers, A, were engaging with the product and using it in their home. So I think Floor 
had a very distinct vision for its its first period of how the product should be merchandised and how it should be bought. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a it was a high level of customization, a high level of mixing and matching. So taking lots of different kinds of styles and putting them together and lots of different crazy patterns and lots of different shapes and sizes. And ultimately, when I started working at the company and looked at the data, we were lucky to have uh, really robust data on our customers and how they've engaged. We found that the customers in general, 80%-ish, were buying the product pretty simply. One style, maybe one or two colors. And they were buying it in a size that was fairly consistent with what was the dominant size sizes being sold in the US and the rug industry for residential. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you step back and you look at how you present the product versus how customers are buying it, and you see a strong delta between the two, you've got to ask yourself, are you doing yourself a disservice by making the experience of of buying the product and how you present it too complicated? So we took a step back and really wanted to pay attention to what our customers were telling us about how they were engaging with the brand. They like that they can make it any size. They like that it was sustainable. They like, they really liked broad designs and more designs. Mm-hmm. So we really kind of simplified our approach and really took a less is more approach, um, less, less craziness, less really high levels of inspiration in our catalog and pull back to really just beautiful homes, beautiful settings with beautiful rugs in them. And when we did that, we saw things accelerate. Yep. Oh, I love that. I mean, right when I went to your website, that is how I got inspired. I mean, I was looking at, it was kind of like a mini lookbook in a way where it's like, mm-hmm. I want that couch and that rug with it. And I also want her yeah. outfit. Like, I just kind of want all of that, which is so much yeah. easier just to click on that and buy versus, you know, a hundred different colors. I mean, I'm not very design savvy and I can see me right. mixing like fluorescent pink with lime green and being like, oh, why would they let me do that to myself? Like, this is not a good look. Yeah. So less is more. Yeah. Less is more. The other thing we had to do is on the education component is that our product is modular, right? So it's made, it's a carpet tile, comes together to form a specific hole. We have what's called a floor dot, which holds the tiles together, but doesn't stick to the floor. And so that concept is just by nature harder to deal with than buying an 8x10 rug, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is the best-selling rug in the US, the best-selling size. So what we did is we came up with an equation. So if you notice that on our site, in our catalog and in various places, we have what's called the equation. And the equation is tile plus dot equals rug. And we visualize that tile plus dot equals rug. And we show the rug as a cohesive hole with the dots in place. And we do this little diagram. The equation appears on every product details page. It appears on the site. It's all throughout the catalog. Because what we need to do is make sure people understand the system. Mm -hmm. And once they understand the system, it's easy for them to understand all the rest of the things that go along with the brand. So that's really the most important education moment. Also, that equation appears in the opening spread of every catalog we send. Oh, that's great. So when thinking about, I mean, I know you can still do customizations, like how Mm -hmm. did you kind of pivot to a way that was easier for the consumer to understand and to get excited about it? Because it seems like in the early days, you got to make it super simple, just like, here's what we Mm -hmm. do, get the concept. And then you probably get some power users who are like, okay, I'm ready to go. Here's my design. Like what tools or things did you make that is making that possible now? Well, I think it starts with our website, which is fairly new. We launched a brand new website a year ago and it really walks the consumer through the process of, it's really a three-step process. You pick your color, you pick your size, 
And then you can add on as an option, you can add on cuts, meaning you can cut the tiles to make to a certain size. So it's one, two, three. And literally the buy stack walks you, pushes you through that process so that natively you know what to do next. I think a lot of ways customers, you know, when you buy a rug, you pick color and size, you're done. But with us, there's some more choices involved. So that starts with that kind of experience on the, on the PDP. And we call that section, build a rug. You're building a rug for yourself. For those that are the power users, as you mentioned, we have what's called design your own, which is also available on the PDP. Design your own takes you to our digital design tool where you can pull in multiple styles and colors and you can drop those in real time onto a grid with cuts and create your own design. You can futz with it. You can save it. You can retitle it. You can share it with a friend. And then when you get that design ready, you just hit add to cart and it got everything that you need, the tiles, the colors, the cuts all go into the cart. You've got your saved design available to you. And then you go in the cart and you check out and buy. So we have those two disparate experiences that allow a novice user and then a power user to pick their path. So build a rug versus design your own. And we make that experience very clear. And for those that even want to have an easier experience than that, we've even, we have what's called signature rugs. Signature rugs are pre-designed rugs that we have created as kits that include all the styles and colors. And literally with that, you pick a color and pick a size, just like you buy a rug from another home furnishings retailer and hit add to cart and you're done. So what we're trying to do is for every different kind of consumer out there is create a different experience for how much they want to engage. Your signature rugs is your lowest engagement. Your build a rug experience on the PDP is your medium engagement. And then your design around is your high engagement. So it's important that we recognize there's different kinds of consumers. There's people like me and you that want less choices Mm -hmm. and not get caught up in all the zillions of variations. But there's other people that are really designed. They really engage in the design and they want full on choice to make their own experience. And we have to make it easy for all three of those groups to kind of um, work with us. And that's kind of how we do it. That's cool. I can also just imagine a whole hub for artists to be able to create designs, put them on as an NFT, have a limited selection. It's like I have 12 of these designs. People can go on and kind of buy the design, put it on their rug. Then you have a whole entire creator hub that I don't actually have to create because I'm not that creative. Yeah, and definitely we're talking about doing, you know, mass customization of some styles, that type of thing is things that we're trying to look at now in terms of how can we continue to up the ante with customization, both in style and then construction mm-hmm. in terms of the rug as a whole? Those are all things that we're looking at now that we're on a new platform. So those, it kind of opens us up to that, those type of things. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. 
Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Okay, so you mentioned that you, you know, got a whole new website built for you earlier. I want to mm-hmm. hear the why, the how, what inspired you to do that? Because that's a big jump as a brand to be like, we're getting a new website. Like, what was the driving force? The driving force was the website that we were on, the version of it was going to be unsupported. So that's often okay. the case for many. Well, there you go. For, <laughs> for many retailers I've worked for, because this is not the this is not the first time in my career where I've been in a situation where a major re-platform was due to a, a, an out-of-date piece of software. Mm-hmm. So as it happened, uh, we were on the Magento platform, the M1 version of Magento, and that had served the company well, but there were significant limitations and technology limitations. And Magento was moving to a new, a new version of it, which was Magento 2 or M2. And we, did, we spent about a year analyzing various e-commerce platforms in the space. We mm-hmm. did a lot of research, a lot of discovery, And it was because we knew that we had to set ourselves up for the future. We felt very strongly that we wanted a SaaS solution, not on-prem. And we had previously been on-prem. And so that was part of the guidance of what we looked at. And so in the end, after a year of discovery and research and analysis, we decided to go with Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, for us, it was a SaaS solution. It offered a strong artificial intelligence engine that is embedded in it, as well as its expandability that it can connect through third-party integrations and how easy that is. And we've continued to leverage those capabilities. And so we launched that platform in July of 2020, right during the pandemic. So we were doing a replatform. We started it in November of 19. We kicked off the project. And so we had plans to do a lot in person. And then we had to pivot quickly in March of 20 and complete the project completely virtual with teams that were in Colombia, the Ukraine, New York, Atlanta, uh, doing all this internationally and all virtually. We got it launched on time and on budget in July of 2020. So I'm super proud of that. Wow. Congrats. Are there any features that you haven't tried out yet or that you're just like stoked to eventually give it a try? Or you're like, we have never had access to this before and now's the time. Um, I think that we we definitely there's there's some there's some A/B testing capabilities that that Commerce Cloud has that we have not had to we have not done we've really been working on the platform and we've been doing some enhancements for the last year we now I think in the point now starting next year we're going to be able to do some more some basic A/B testing and it's nice that um, Commerce Cloud has a built-in A/B test functionality built into it so that's something I'm looking forward to using more. I think the other thing that we've used and we're continuing to use is leveraging the fact that you can connect in third-party integrations through modular components, which are called link cartridges at Commerce Cloud Speak. Mm-hmm. We're launching the Affirm digital payment solution. And, yeah. we, and the integration of that, which is huge in our space, by the way, so many people are doing Affirm, is that that integration to Commerce Cloud was very easy. So the lift on that from a technical standpoint was like super easy. And we're really excited by that. So. Um, those are some of the examples of how we're we're leveraging the platform and doing more with it and more with artificial intelligence. We're using already using artificial intelligence today. I think we can go deeper with it. Yeah, that's great. So when thinking about rugs and buying them online, I mean, I think about me, I go in, I touch them, I might want to step on them. Like, how do you optimize the experience digitally so that people feel confident to you know buy a rug? Because I think about the rug in my bedroom, I might want a soft, fluffy one versus the one in my office. I don't need that. Like, how do you kind of show people that without maybe them going in Mm -hmm. person and touching it? The first experience that most people have with floor is through our catalog. So we, we circulate our catalog and we have an annual circulation about six and a half million. 
and especially now more than ever, as mail in the mailbox has decreased, what goes in the mailbox becomes even more present to those that are getting their mail. Yep, It's fun now. Yeah. So the catalog is an incredibly important vehicle. We are, our strategy is digital first, but it's supported by a robust catalog um, marketing program. So that catalog goes in home and that first experience is it's very much an inspiration and engagement tool for us to, for customers to get engaged with us, be inspired by us, see the breadth of our product and start discovering the brand at their own pace. Mm -hmm. So I think the wonderful thing about digital ads, PLAs, Google shopping is there's a lot of exposure, but it doesn't create that kind of brand level imagery or engagement. And that's why the catalog is so important. So the catalog um, is that starting point. And then once we kind of engage people with the catalog, then they jump from that kind of offline experience onto the online experience. So already they're engaged in space, color, style, that type of thing. And then once they get to the site, they can start drilling down into product in ways that you describe. We can describe how plush the product is, low, medium, or high what the colors are. We use traditional rug terms, Berber, graphics, stripes, um, natural fi- We have natural fiber and rugs that kind of mimic the idea of natural fibers like jute and sisal. So then they can kind of drill down into that experience and we make the sampling process, which is incredibly important to us. We really, really spend a lot of time using both the catalog and digital strategies to get people to sample. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is we want people to get some floor samples in their home and get them get them quickly and understand the product and the feel and the touch. And then once we sample, our success rate of converting a customer upon a sample is incredibly high. So we have a 50% conversion rate on samplers. The sampling is incredibly important. And then once they're in the sampling process, we have an entire campaign that's an educational campaign that that's a nurture campaign that goes along with that sampling process that reinforces the features and benefits of the product, things they need to know, allows them to engage with resources that plan their space, what kind of size rug you need. Because if you have a dining table, you need your rug to extend a certain amount of space outside your chair. Um, And that whole process kicks off with the sample purchase. So our engagement and education of the customer starts well before we even get to the buying portion. It's really a sampling. Wow. And that's what I'm excited about. And that's some of the power of what we can do with some of our platforms. Yeah. Wow. That's very exciting just to hear the whole process. I kind of want to unbundle it a bit and go all the way back sure. to the catalog because we had, yes. I think it was Marine Layer that we had on where she said, our catalog is the best performing asset we have, which is a little mm-hmm. contrarian to, you know, other commerce mm-hmm. brands being like, what, why would I ever do a, why would I do a catalog? Yeah. That's so old school. So I want to hear, yeah. how do you guys think about building it out and how do you track, you know, you were saying you track or get people to go offline to online. Like, what do you do to make that an easy process where people can yes. see something beautiful and then be like, and now I'm hopping over to actually look at it online. So our catalog is the most productive uh, paid asset that we have of any of our paid advertising campaigns. So I can tell you like Marine Layer, it is, and it represents 70% of our consumer demand. So 70% of the demand that we get from consumers they have had an interaction with the catalog that drove their purchase. So, Huge. and I'll wow. and I'll break that down 
how that happens. So we use a variety of data points. We use a lot of models on our existing customer base to find new customers out there. And so our existing customers, like you see in social and other paid media campaigns, look like audiences. We do the same with offline marketing. And in fact, many customers that that we have an email address, but maybe not an address for, we can also find them through their email and send them a catalog. And we do that as well. So we find that we know the catalog activation around the catalog is incredibly important. We use a lot of data about our existing customer base and our transactional history, as well as histories that we, from consumers that spend outside of us. And we use all that data to create models that allow us to find prospects that help us acquire new customers. So a prospect customer would get a catalog unbeknownst to them, but they fit a profile and we send them a catalog. And that's ways in which we activate and acquire new customers. So that is how we do it. And then once the customer comes to the site, we immediately have can grab them and start continuing the marketing trend online. How do you know they're coming from the catalog? Like, what do you do to be able to kind of track that attribution? Well, we actually don't know that they had a catalog until they either make a sample purchase. Got it or a real purchase. So this that's why this sampling is so important because that allows us, because what we do each night, and so I can come in the morning and see this, is that every night we analyze all of our orders and we know all of the people that got the catalog at various points in time. We match the people that bought from us against the people that got the catalog and we see where they connect. And that's how we know. And then based on the time range of how recently they got the catalog, that's how much attribution we get to their sale. So that's in some, that's how we do it. So we do an analysis of every activity, order activity that we had um, every night. And we come in in the morning and I can see exactly how much demand was attributed to the catalog in, in exactly to what catalog and what segment that was sent. Mm-hmm. So I know down to the segment level of that. And I see that every morning. I have, we have some really robust um, dashboards that um, we use to analyze our business. So that's how I see it. So. That's, yeah. that's good. So how much would you recommend a brand similar to yours or maybe any e-commerce brand who's selling cool things? Like how much should you say they should dedicate towards a catalog strategy? Like, is it only certain brands who should do this? And if so, like how much of their budget should they even test out with this? I think there's a way to test into it and test, you know, one of the things that, one of the reasons why we know the catalog works, and I think this is a great example for any brand that's testing a new strategy is that we have done what's called holdout testing. So we have sent the catalog to, you know, 200,000, 300,000 people, or a total of 300,000 people. And we could have sent it to 500,000 people, but we held out 200,000 people that should have gotten the catalog. And then we don't send them a catalog. And they only get standard digital marketing campaigns like email, paid media, paid display, things like that. And then over a course of a period, we analyze the difference between the group that got the catalog and the group that didn't get the catalog. And we look at the cost associated with each one. And in our case, when we, even though the catalog is much more expensive, what we're getting out of it, both from a average order and volume revenue standpoint and from profitability versus the customers that are only getting paid digital media is significant in the fact that the catalog more than pays for itself and in fact, drives profitability. So that's the way to do it. So the way to test into it is start low, but also have holdout testing 
So you can always analyze whether or not the cattle is actually making a difference mm-hmm. and is the cost of it is making enough to make up for, you know, is giving you enough back for what you're spending on it. So you yeah. want your return to be greater than what you spent. So that's, that's an example of how to do it. I think in our case, the catalog does not show every single floor product. It shows products in our cat in our assortment that are driving about 80% of our sales. So there's that 80-20 rule, which amazingly business always plays out. Mm-hmm. And then it's showing new products and then products we've introduced in the last year. So we don't we have about 160 products total and about 65 products, 65 to 70 products are in the catalog. So it doesn't show the full assortment. But it's enough of the assortment and it's also the very best of the assortment that's going to drive engagement and get people to the website. Do you organize the catalog in a way where it's like maybe the seasonal stuff in the very front and then the most popular stuff is the block and then maybe the new testing, you know, colors and things like that in the back? Or how do you think about creating it where, you know, someone's going to dive right in right away? So the catalog is organized is organized from a standpoint of first off, we figure out what the assortment is by products, but then we merchandise the products, much like you would merchandise products in a store that makes sense together, mm-hmm. that create beautiful scenes, that pre, that create high levels of engagement. On any given spread, you should feel like those products are meaningful together and represent a similar home or a similar experience. The size of the amount of space the products get in a catalog is commiserate with their performance as a product. So products that have larger space in the catalog are higher performing and products that have lower space in the catalog perform lower. In a sense, they all, like a retail store, they all have to pay rent for the space that they have. And that catalog rent is really high. Mm -hmm. So the products that do the best pay the most rent and the products that don't do as well have to pay less rent because they're occupying less space. Yeah. So that's part of how we merchandise it. Also, we always make sure that we have a hit, a well-known hit that's on the cover. So it's got to be a big, we never put a new product on the cover. Yeah. So the front cover and the back cover are always the most important. But then inside, we assort it to seasonal stories. So we tell about five stories a season. And each section is assorted around a story that we're trying to tell that is meaningful to the customer in the season that we're talking about. So the, the products are actually intermixed between best-selling products, new products are all intermixed through the catalog because what we're trying to do is take the customer on a journey mm-hmm. that's about seasonality and about trend and about color because we know for her, that's much more important than trying to group products by new, old, whatever. So yeah. what we're trying to do is tell our story and yeah. that's why we do it. But the story is unfolded through various technical means to make sure she sees, she engages in the best-selling products first and the lower-selling products less. But that's how we deal with space. But the actual merchandising of it is storytelling. Ooh, I love that. What do you think about making catalogs like, you know, a little QR code or something where it's like you can hover and then instantly go to that product? Because that's always my hang-up sometimes with catalogs of looking at something and then trying to actually yeah. find it and being like, oh, I give up. Yeah. And so we have, I have worked on some things like that in the past. And what we have found is that the, you know, we've used vanity URLs as an example. Um, We are, we have tested some things with QR codes and other types of things like that. I think it's interesting to see what's going to happen down the road. Now the QR codes have come back into fashion with the pandemic, as you can see them at with restaurant menus, 
But what the data tells us is that typically customers aren't using those means to find products, that they usually, what they're doing and what we can analyze from site search data is they're simply just plugging in the name in the search bar and mm -hmm. that's how they're finding it. And so overwhelmingly, our site search is dominated by branded product names mm -hmm. and that's what people are doing. So um, that site search experience becomes really important and it needs to be really robust because that's how they're using it. So I'd be open to using alternate means to get people from the offline to the online. I haven't seen one that's clicked yet with customers, but we're going to keep trying. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I could also just see naming things in the catalog, having a different long tail keyword for whatever yeah. it is, and then being like, how many yeah. people are searching for that? Okay, now we know, like, much easier because nothing else is named, you know, whatever that unique name is that you put exactly. in the catalog. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So then, okay, they go and now they're getting samples. Then what you said, like training education starts right away. Like, Right. What do you all jump into right after that? How do you kind of engage with them and get them to open, you know, educational videos that maybe for something they haven't even purchased yet? Yeah. So immediately they're getting an email. Once they're in a sample campaign, we use um, our marketing automation platform to give them a journey that includes email, social, um, social paid media, and then other paid media. And that occurs as they're moving through the journey they're getting information. The emails are mainly the points where they're going to be jumping off points where they're going to learn about our rug buying guide. They're going to learn about our installation video. They're going to learn about the, the sustainable benefits that we offer. That's all going to come through a series of emails. And then as they get further and further out from their sample purchase, we're going to provide more and more incentives for them to convert. So obviously an offer in home furnishings, people love an offer. Yep. But as soon as they convert they're out of the journey. So they don't have to continue to get swamped with more and more information about getting them to go from sample to purchase mm -hmm. because we know they purchased. So that's where we get, and email is still an incredibly powerful tool. We, you know, we feel like we have really strong open rates, high engagement on email. So even though email is not as fancy as some of our newer, you know, SMS texting and some other things that people are, are working on, it works really well for us. Mm -hmm. So we also are able to dynamically personalize the site based on a customer's behavior. So those samplers see unique content on the site when they visit the site again. Mm -hmm. Once we've identified them as a sampler, they see unique dynamic content on the site that's unique to them that also is reinforcing that educational component. Oh, got it. So what types of things are you showing them on the site? Like, what do you know about them to then be able to customize the website when they come back? You know, you haven't sampled yet. Learn more about floor in, or floor's features and benefits. You haven't sampled yet. Don't forget you'd get 20% off if you purchase today. Um, so there's that's some of the examples of getting them into resources. We have a mm -hmm. whole resources page um, that that is what some of the site uh, works with in conjunction with some of the other personalized content we're doing in email and paid media. Mm -hmm. Cool. So the other thing I want to touch on is LTV, because I'm just imagining that once you mm -hmm. have a customer, you mm -hmm. have a very high LTV because, oh, I spilled some wine on one of the, you know, mm -hmm. pieces of carpet, I'll order a new mm -hmm. one. Like, how do you keep someone engaged so that they remember you? And also, do they have to just swap everything out? Because I'm thinking if there's traffic on carpet for, you know, a whole year, would they come and just buy one more panel? Or are you encouraging them just to like, go for it, buy a whole new rug again? Well, it, it's a couple of things. So that's a great point about long time, lifetime value. First off, what we find is customers typically engage with us in one part of the home first. And they're starting with one part of the home. 
And typically that home, that part of the home is usually a living room. That's mm-hmm. our primary space that they start with. But typically the, the biggest, highest penetration is living room. Mm-hmm. And they're starting with that. And then once they do that, what we find is that our rebuy rate on existing customers is incredibly high. They rebuy to do what you said. They can swap out a few tiles if things get soiled. You can also wash our tiles. You can wash them in the sink and they dry out. So if you spill wine on them, you can do that. But then what we find is over time, as they get that first room, they start moving into other parts of the house. Mm -hmm. And that's where our ability to show a breadth of assortment and a breadth of location of the products is important, both on the site as in the catalog. Because what they're going to do is start moving through the house. And then as they cycle through their home, they may come back to that first living room and then want to redo it again. Existing customers are overwhelmingly dry at the majority of our revenue. So they buy again and again and again. So our primary focus, number one, is to get existing customers to continue to buy from us. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we have automated campaigns that go out to those customers. If there's been a while since they bought from us, that encourage us to buy again. And once again, reinforces the features and benefits of the product. And those campaigns are spitting out every single day on an automated basis. So it's, it's about keeping them in the fold and reminding them. But I do see, we do feel like that and then as they move through the home, that helps them. And then obviously over time, people want to change up their look and we're there to help them do that as well. Yep, I love it. So when thinking about, you know, you've got these power existing users who keep coming back when finding new customers, I mean, what platforms outside of, you know, catalogs, like what else are mm-hmm. you most bullish on or excited to test out maybe this next year or two? Well, we've done a lot of work recently. We've done some testing this year on connected TV. Okay. So we are really excited by connected TV and the power that that platform offers. And we've been incredibly surprised by the results of what connected TV is offered. So we um, did a test over the summer and the results were incredibly surprising with the power because there's so much opportunity to target. We were able to target both laps customers mm-hmm. as well as model do lookalike audiences on our existing site visitors for new customers. Both those groups activated incredibly well through connected TV, which I was personally surprised for it. Cause it's like, you think someone's going to see a 30 second ad streaming and then they actually do something and really they do. And yeah. we actually saw them go to the site sample, add to cart, convert. So we saw a significant lift in people that saw a connected TV ad versus once again, we did holdout testing. As I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. we had customers that didn't see the connected TV ad and we measured how they performed against each other. And there was a significant lift on customers who saw the connected TV ad versus those who didn't. It was a supplement and an opportunity that lifted the catalog's performance, but also allowed us to find customers that weren't getting the catalog as well. Yeah. Okay. So tell me the process of how you guys even got involved in connected TV because I haven't heard of brands doing that so far. So I want to hear like, is it just ads that you're running on there? Like how do you mm-hmm. make them relevant to who's watching? Like what does that process look like? The process is it's, you know, it's a 30 second ad like any brand would produce. In our case, it really kind of explains the brand and kind of the basic tenets. We have three pillars that we talk about with the brand beautiful, smart, and responsible. Mm-hmm. And it kind of quickly moves through those things and explains why why floor is a better rug. Um, so in that case, we built out, we had done a lot of work on evergreen videos for the brand. We did a new installation video. We did a new equation video. We did a, we did a sustainability video. 
And then we did a brand video mm-hmm. and we did, took the brand video and cut it multiple ways. And we found a cut that we felt was really relevant for connected TV. And then we were able to use the data analysis of our existing customer base to then deploy that dynamically to potential customers. So that's how we did it. And then, you know, through cross-device tracking, we're able to analyze the process of customers who see the connected TV ad and then actually come to the site. Yeah. Wow. That's That's how we did it. That's cool. I think more brands (laughs) need to try that out. You're the first that I've heard doing that. I mean, I'm sure others are, but and it's very cost effective too. In comparison to doing a national spot, you know, everyone's watching TV through streaming. So why would you do a shotgun approach to trying to find customers when you can do you can be as targeted on connected TV as you can in a display ad for um, digital? Yep, that's a good point. So where are you hoping to be in the next one to three years? What are you all shooting for right now? I think we're we're continuing. You know, we have had amazing growth in the last eighteen months, and we're very grateful for that. So we're trying to kind of take all that in and all these new customers that we've gotten. And then what we're looking for is to continue to refine that customer experience. And like I said, it's continue to offer customers options for how they want to interact with us. Mm-hmm. We're launching a new design studio tool, an overhauled one. We're launching a firm as to give customers a different way to pay for our products because customers are saying, "I don't just want to use a credit card." And then we're going to continue to refine that customer experience on the site, looking at all those pain points and doing testing to understand how we can make the path to purchase and create frictionless, make our commerce even more frictionless than it is today. And we have some great product because at the end of the day, we live and buy our product. So it doesn't matter how great the site is or anything else. So we've got great things ahead for us. So it's a combination of really great products and new products and then continuing to refine that customer experience. I love it. So we have a lightning round. Lightning okay. round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? I will say the nicest thing anyone has done for me at work. How about yeah, that? Go Can for it. That? Okay. Yep. So recently we have had a very... A lot going on at work and there's, we've had a lot of great achievements and my team sent me the most beautiful, custom, amazing bouquet of flowers that I've ever seen. And it came unexpectedly along with cookies, which I'm a huge fan of cookies. So Tiff's treats. And I got all this, not for any reason other than we'd had a really great run of stuff at work and we were working really hard and they did this all for me. And it's really them who is doing all, you know, who, who have been doing this all with me and they sent this to me, uh, mm. you know, un, unannounced. And I was just so impressed. It was beautiful. Oh. And I, the bouquet was absolutely amazing. I love that. That's a good reminder. Like how much the little things like that can make a big difference. I love mm-hmm. that. What's one thing you don't understand today that you wish you did? I, I would say I often don't understand some of the technical um, implications of how our various systems work. So it is challenging to be dependent on others in order to fix something that is so mission critical. Mm. I said, so that, that is challenging. And that is, and I wish I understood more about API calls yeah. and why they're so important and how they can go wrong and things like that. Yep. That's a good one. I also wish I knew more about that. I like that. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? And who would your first guest be? My podcast would be about design and trends and design. And my first guest would be several people, Jonathan Adler, 
would be one that I would be interested in talking to because okay. he has maintained his focus on design. Another person that I think is really interesting from a retail design perspective is David Yerman. Okay. So that would be another. So those are some of the people that I would want to have. And then there's a photographer that's here in Atlanta that I love. And she has an amazing design aesthetic and her name is Ellie Roy Sobel. So you can go from big, you know, retail to local photography. I love that. We'll have to have a round table, you Mm -hmm. and all these design experts. That Mm -hmm. sounds great. Cool. I love that. You did great. Even though I sent hard questions your way. Great job, James. (laughs) So it's been an awesome interview. I can't wait to check out floor more maybe redo this whole office space here. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. In the meantime, where can people find out more about you and floor? More about floor at floor.com. Please come visit us and explore everything we have to offer and check it out. You can learn more about me if you look me up on LinkedIn. Amazing. It's probably the best place. Yeah. yeah, we will link you up. James, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.